Good morning. It's Friday, September 18th, 2015. This is Tech Talk Today, episode 213, the last one here in the studio for about a month, maybe, well, at least about 17 days, and I am enjoying it. I've been playing around with the soundboard all morning, just sort of like soaking it all in and appreciating, you know, a nice table to sit at to actually do a show and things like that. So not only that, not only am I just soaking in being here, but we also have a pretty packed news lineup of interesting stories. So let's bring in our mumble room to get started. Time appropriate greetings, mumble room. Hello. Hello. Hello, guys. Hello, guys. Say, hey, do me all a favor, won't you, and step into uh, the Situation Room because we have a little breaking news. This is CNN's Wolf Blitzer, and you're in the Situation Room. That's right. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah, the... Uh, the uh, rumors are flying this morning that there's going to be a, a brand new uh, Chromecast announced towards the end of this month, the second gen, or maybe better referred to as the new Chromecast. Uh, nine, to, 9 to 5 Google has learned that one of the changes Google is bringing to the improved Chromecast is improved Wi-Fi. 802.11ac, they say, will be supported. The second gen Chromecast, uh, which for the record is probably going to be referred to as new Chromecast, includes support for content feeds on the Chromecast home screen now. Although it's not quite quite clear what kind of feeds you'll be able to add, but they're thinking social media feeds, image feeds, things like that as the screensaver or backdrop for your Chromecast. There's also a new feature called Fast Play. Assumably, along with the improved Wi-Fi features, Fast Play will allow Chromecast to establish a connection much quicker and play content much more seamlessly when pressing the cast button on a connected device, which I don't know for you guys, but is most of the time pretty reliable. But not always. In fact, um, often enough, I seem to have to go to a wired desktop PC to actually get the Chromecast to work really reliable. Also, Chromecast is planning to include a new feature called Chromecast Audio. According to the leaked documentation that 9to5Google has seen, 9to5Google has seen, it appears that this could allow your Chromecast to plug directly into any speaker by way of an auxiliary cord. Also, the new Chromecast is going to be more like a puck, it looks like, and not so much as a dongle device. Uh, the Chromecast Audio is going to be kind of like Apple's AirPlay for audio. Uh, you could use uh, the Chromecast plugged directly into any auxiliary cord, providing Chromecast support to any speaker or audio system in your home. That could be a great feature for listening to podcasts. According also to the documents, the device is set to be announced on the September 29th event. The same day, two Nexus devices are rumored to launch. Mom, before we jump to that rumor, this is like a little rumor roundup here because it's been Apple's heyday and now Google's getting their time in the sun. Something else as a Chromecast user, I'll be happy to see when we have people over in the studio, it's nice to play a little music. You know, we play a little Ronald Jankies or something like that to, uh, to, to set the mood. And uh, it's kind of lame that Chromecast has not had Spotify support. And I guess at this announcement, they'll also uh, – Google has been working with Spotify to get their support on the Chromecast. So you also heard me mention it. Uh, Google is set to unveil uh, new devices uh, September 29th, likely to be Nexus devices, the Nexus probably with USB-C. I don't know how much we're going to see uh, other than that. Uh, Type-C, USB-C, fingerprint scanners are pretty solid rumors. There's going to be a rumored uh, update to the Nexus uh, 5. With a 2700 milliamp battery, 3 gigabytes of RAM, USB-C, 12.3 megapixel camera, and a 5 megapixel front camera to make it more competitive with the new iPhone 6S. And also, it'll be shipping with Android M. Uh, so, yeah, we could see a Hawaii Nexus device. Potentially, there is also the rumor, or maybe just another LG device. So, a lot of things coming up while I'll be on the road that we would normally cover on Tech Talk. I'll do a big roundup when I get back, though. Uh, any any comments from the mumble room on improvements to Chromecast, existing issues with Chromecast, or rumored Nexus devices, and what you'd like to see in a Nexus update? I open the stage floor before we move on to other news. 
I'd like to see what uh, Android M is about uh, because I think operating systems for mobile devices are going to be more important than the hardware they're running on in the long term. You know, one thing I've heard from uh, Jason Howell when I was uh, watching the Twit live stream the other day, he was just kind of uh, commenting on uh, like uh, in between shows is uh, he said that uh, the battery life improvements in Android M are here and they are real. And he thinks the most significant uh, source of those improvements is just that new motion sensing technology that uh, Pebble also just pushed out to the Pebble Watch, by the way. But, you know, the the, uh, the phone senses when you're not using it and goes into a deeper sleep mode and disables some things extra, like extra background things and maybe wireless things. And so I don't know exactly how the deep sleep works, but you guys might remember it was it was demoed by Google at, at the Google I.O. keynote. But uh, the reports that I'm hearing from Jason Howell and then the review that I just read on the XDA forum from somebody who's been using M for a few weeks now, I was debating actually seeing if it would be worth checking out just based on the battery life savings they're seeing because that continues to be my number one struggle with Android devices despite all my other issues with Android is – um, because I do a lot of messaging, I don't do a lot of phone calls, but because I do a lot of podcasts and messaging, I, I mean, I don't know if that, I don't know why that's enough. Oh, and I do, ma- I do driving, but even with maps, but almost then I'm almost always plugged in. It's so even, even drive, usually when I'm driving, uh, I'm plugged in, which sometimes it's like I'm driving for an hour both ways when I'm coming from the trailer. And, uh, that, uh, yes, I'm living in the JB mobile studio trailer. I don't, I should probably be when – I'm, when I'm coming from the mobile studio, I'll put it like that. That doesn't – that sounds better. Uh, when I'm coming from the mobile studio, that's an hour drive, and yet I'm still burning through my battery four or five hours into my day. So if I could get uh, – and a lot of the times it's just sitting here on the desk next to me while I'm doing a show. And if I could be saving considerable amounts of battery life there, that would be fantastic. So that's what I'm looking forward to in M. And uh, maybe a new Nexus device, USB-C. I'm ready for it. My body is ready. I'm ready for USB Type-C, so long as it's actually the USB 3.3.1 spec, not the USB 2 that the OnePlus 2 pushed out. Yeah. uh, USB 2 is sort of like last gen, while two gens technically go, and it's time for it to go away. Yeah, you know, that is something to watch with the Nexus devices. Now, Lord, you think if, uh, Lord Shadowing, you think if I'm uh, having battery woes instead of switching to a different... uh, Android phone or waiting for M, you think I should swat, try Windows Mobile, huh? You know, it's the one Windows Windows Mobile is the one OS I haven't really played around with. Windows Phone, I've got one, and the, I can sit there and use it all day from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., and by that time, it would only be down to like 25% battery. Uh, now, is that now why do you suppose that is? Is that just, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't picture Windows Mobile as, for, well, I guess. Maybe it's, it's just more optimized for the hardware. Hmm, that's hard for me to swallow, but I, I guess it, it makes sense. They are working closer. Maybe they. Ha- yeah, I don't know. How can that I've be? I've had though? the same experience on my Lumia 920. Although, I mean, of course, it's not my daily driver. But when I was in the U.S., I used it, and I got I got significant battery improvements compared to uh, Android well, at he, that time. Here's what doesn't stack up for me: two things. So let's take my phone, the Samsung S6. It has an Onyx processor. That is built and created by Samsung. It has a battery that is created and built by Samsung. It has a charge controller built and created by Samsung. It has a highly customized operating system that has a very special licensing agreement with Google where they get all to get all up in that business customized by Samsung. If there is any Android maker more positioned like Apple, I don't know who it is, as Samsung makes every part basically from top to bottom. It's their own CPU spec and design and everything, their own ARM chip. 
their own batteries, everything. And yet, somehow, I have horrible battery life. And so that's why it's got to be more than just a tight control that Windows Mobile offers. There must be something else fundamentally going on. And the other thing is, the other thing, well, I mean, maybe, yeah. You know, one thing I know from my personal experience is when I ran my Nexus 5 without the Play services, I was getting two to three days of battery life sometimes. I was using significantly less apps, though, because of that. And so, yeah, maybe. I don't know what it is. But. Yeah, Windows Phone does not do Java at all. It's I think it's all written like C plus plus or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I could I could run Selfish OS on my Yola and get you know sometimes two three days of actual usage on that phone. But once I start firing up Alien Dalvik and running Android apps, I don't I don't even expect a day. Mm-hmm. My my experience at the trailer, uh, I'm sorry, the mobile studio where sometimes we don't have power. Uh, or AC power, is uh, the iPhone can go about a day and a half if uh, you don't use it super heavily. And uh, the uh, the uh, iPhone, or I'm sorry, the uh, S6, if you put it into like crazy, that has a crazy power reserve mode, it'll also go for about a day and a half, two days, but you can't use anything on it except for phone calls. So it's not quite the same thing, but it still works in an emergency. So if I'm out in a situation where I know I can't charge for a couple of days. One thing that Samsung has done is this emergency power reserve mode. It makes the phone, like, way less useful and way slower. Like, I think it shuts down, like, pretty much most of the CPU and things like that, and it does less colors and less green updates and stuff, but uh, it actually keeps the battery going. It's so nice to at least have that option. Um, but it seems to me that portable batteries are really the solution. All right, so I want to move on and talk about something disgusting that Facebook is rolling out. And I, I kind of actually, in a way, assumed they were already doing this. <laughs> and now that now I'm, but either way, I'm still I'm still not very happy about it. So you know the Facebook like button that's on every freaking website uh, out there. Um, well, they're going to start using that to actually track where you browse. Now, supposedly Facebook has been warning they're going to do this, but starting next month, the millions of Facebook like and share buttons that publishers have embedded. On their pages and mobile apps will start and mobile apps will start funneling data on people's web browsing habits into the company's ad targeting systems and obviously which apps they use. After the change, the types of sites you visit could be used to tune ads shown to you inside Facebook's social networking service, its photo sharing service, Instagram, and mobile apps that use Facebook's ad network. So that's a lot of things. Plus, you also have to wonder what Facebook's doing with all those unlogged in users' data. Are they still correlating that information, tracking IPs and building information up about you? And then when you join Facebook, do they correlate that information together? I mean, it seems like they would. The company said in a blog post Tuesday that it will now officially start doing this. The post also announced a new privacy setting that lets you opt out of seeing ads targeted based on data collected on your online activity. That's key, guys. If you don't like this, you have an option to go turn it off. But it's happening. It's coming soon. Kind of dirty because really this like button was kind of, you know, an insidious way to kind of get it out there and, and people and people used it. And now it's a big tracking system. Drives me crazy. And this kind of stuff is just driving this. Um, I think I think there is a war brewing and I find it to be fascinating because I just am barely outside of the war territory, the war zones. Um, it's so I'm like standing off in like neutrals in, in a neutral nation going Oh man, I hope this conflict is uh, is uh, resolved in a in a way that is better for everybody. Because here's what I see right now. I see really good tools coming out on the market, like Privacy Badger and Ghostry, and well, I mean they all have various pluses and minuses, right? And AdBlock, but I see a wide range of pretty commonly known tools available on the market today that are really stamping down on online tracking and online ads. Apple's iOS nine, which came out this week, includes the ability to do content filtering in the web. Marco Arment, one of the most well-known iOS developers, 
has released a free privacy app that I believe uses Privacy Badger or Ghostry. I can't remember. Uses one of the well-known databases and builds in this content blocking at the OS level, at the freaking OS level on iOS 9. And Apple allows this. They've opened it up as part of iOS 9, and they're allowing the apps in the App Store to enable this. iOS is a huge mobile platform. Browsers are pushing more and more into this area. Firefox has a real good incentive to push in this area. They can screw a little bit of Google, plus they can feature those sponsored tiles and say these are free from content blocking. These are guaranteed channels in front of web users, premium content. So this is a great thing for Firefox. This is a great thing for Apple. It's really the only people it's not good for is Google. Oh, and other advertisers online. And Facebook, a bad thing for Facebook. And I hope every tool out there automatically starts blocking these like buttons. And I'm going to go opt out on my, face, on my Facebook account. Maybe I, shouldn't be, maybe I shouldn't react this way, but to me, I'm just getting so sick of it. And it's causing this war to brew between display advertising and the end users. And there's been this implicit contract that if you want to view the free content, if you want to take advantage of the free stuff on the site, you look at a few ads from time to time. But at some point, those ads got more aggressive and more in our face and more full screen. And, and we started pushing back with tools. And then it's just been an arms race since then. And I think the tools for the end user have just gotten stronger than the tools for the advertisers. And so Facebook's trying to heat things up, right? They're trying to change it up a little bit and, af- and offer something, you know, that's a little more metric-based, that's a little more under the radar. And I, just, I simply think it comes down to display advertising just isn't all that great. And, of course, I say that as somebody who does spoken uh, spot re- you know, reads and shows, but I happen to think that approach integrated into the content is less offensive and it's, uh, it's a little more genuine than what you get from, you know, flashing ads that come full screen up on a website and things like that that cause people to want to revolt. I think if you are careful in your ad selection process and you curate that carefully and you build good, trustful relationships there, you can do it right. But see, all these display advertisements that have been happening and now this with this insidious background tracking, this just forces the end user's hand. They have to do something to push back because that, that, that social contract is being violated by the other side. And so now it's, it's the user's responsibility to shore things back up again. And so now the tools are being provided to the end users right as Facebook's coming out and making this change. And it's no accident they're making this change because they're trying to make their ad platform more viable than the other guys like Google and the other big ad networks that all rely on display advertising. That's what's really going on here. And that's why they're taking a move that is disgusting like this, and they're making it happen right now. They've seen it coming, too. This is, uh, is going to be a really interesting time for online advertising. And uh, I would like to know if anybody in the mumble room is just as grossed out by all of these like buttons and Facebook share buttons. And look, even this site, the talking about it, has a Facebook share button, right? Every site has a share button. Isn't, what are we going to do? This is disgusting at this point. Is, are we all, is it mandatory now to have... Um, track blockers on your uh, browser, Mumble Room, I ask you. Or am I overreacting? Well, in that case, I can start blocking Facebook at the DNS level with a Raspberry Pi. I'm actually kind of surprised that uh, they're just rolling this out. I've always been under the assumption that uh, they always were tracking, like, the IPs and, like, logging everyone that was requesting certain assets for the like button and then correlating that with your Facebook account. So I've always had those blocked anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I I did too, to be honest with you, but here's the part that uh, bothers me about it is this kind of move now that they are making. So here's, I think 
The, the reason why they didn't do this originally is because it would have hindered adoption. That's, the, that's what I figure. Is they, it, that's why they didn't do it originally, but they obviously built into the system to be able to flip it on when they want to. So they didn't want to hinder adoption, but they wanted to get, uh, and they wanted to get as much deployment as possible. As a content creator, I'm a little disappointed now. Because I think as end users, pretty much all of us are just going to start blocking this stuff. And, and, and at some point, it's going to get so automated, people don't even know they're blocking it. And I'm kind of disappointed because one of the best things that happened to content creators was the ability for people, that they re- if they like your stuff, to easily share it with other people in their group. You know, other people that also like Linux and open source news and technology might share several of our shows over Facebook or over Twitter or whatever. And that is really the only kind of marketing that actually works is word of mouth for podcasts. And so by automatically disabling all of these things, in a way, on, on a larger scale, I mean, is it really going to affect Jupiter Broadcasting? Maybe a little tiny bit. But if you zoom that out to all of the content creators, it's probably going to have a pretty large impact. It's kind of a disappointment. Well, to quote Spatry, NSA, NSA, everybody loves the NSA. Yeah, yeah and Facebook. Uh, everybody loves uh, the children. Microsoft is going to spend $75 million to booster computer science in schools. Microsoft will invest $75 million over the next three years into initiatives to increase access to computer science education for youth. This marks a major expansion of Microsoft's Youth Spark program, the company's effort to get young people hooked on computer science and build a larger, more diverse talent pool for the technology industry. The shortage of computer science graduates is one of the most pressing issues facing the industry. And then they say, they just kind of throw it in, as is the underrepresentation of women and minorities. I would flip that around so fast, it's disgusting. The major issue facing these companies in terms of hiring is the lack of diversity. Because without, the lack, without good diversity, you don't get a good diversity of ideas. What really pisses me off and really, really upsets me, as I have watched this happen to my audience over the last 10 years, as I've seen in emails and, and chat conversations, is the industry has artificially moved the bar too high. So then they can declare a shortage. But the shortage is fake. There are people that are so overskilled for these jobs that simply just don't have a specific degree that they arbitrarily add to the requirements for these positions. That just because they don't have this checkbox to check, they don't get the job. They could be overqualified in every single sense of the word. 15, 10 to 15 years of experience. Absolute experts. In one case, one person I'm thinking of was actually the developer of the project that they were hiring somebody to maintain at the company. The actual person who created the open source project that they were going to depend on as a product, they wouldn't hire him because he didn't have a degree, even though he was the person that created it. You see, what they have done is they have made this artificial hard line in the sand. They say, we cannot cross this line if you do not have this degree. Well, of course, some people like myself and many others who've been in the technology industry for longer than a few years went right into work. We went right to work, right out of school. We went right into work. And we built up an incredible library of experience, tools, and skills. But because we don't have that artificial checkbox that they get to check, and, 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 and you know, More power to everybody who does have it. Congratulations. But what they are doing is not enough people in the U.S. have it. So we are not – so so many people – like I watched this happen to Chase too. And thankfully, Chase finally landed a really great job here at a local station, uh, which I think he's way better off than probably anywhere he could have ended up. But so many jobs that I watched him that he was overqualified for, he got turned down. Over and over and over again. And then he had to sit here and watch news report after news report about a shortage of U.S. workers. 
It's so frustrating. It is an artificial barrier. They could do case-by-case assessments and treat people like actual dynamic human beings. But instead, they make this hard line and then they make these huge overtures saying, well, this is we're so we are so inconvenienced by this lack of American talent that we have to make these overtures. And by the same time, can you make sure we get some more people in here that we can have on work slavitude so that way they can be in here and indentured servants working for us at lower rates? And then if we don't like them, we fire them and their, their status is kicked out and they have to move out. Can we get more of those? people in here because we just don't have enough american workers yeah it's like all these jobs are going to like mexicans so all the good jobs are being taken by illegal immigrants to america i'm not actually and, trying to make this like an immigration thing i mean i know that is a but i i i don't really have a i don't want to make this a political statement it is it is just functionally what is happening if you're not familiar with the way the visa program works for working in the technology industry specifically, it's something that Facebook and Microsoft and others have a lobby in D.C. And they are lobbying for increases to the HB1 visas or whatever the hell they're called to allow these workers to come in with work visas. Now, these work visas are contingent on work because it's a work visa. OK. And if it's contingent on work, if you are fired, you lose your visa. So you're pretty motivated to do whatever that job tells you to do. And if you don't get paid with the other people get paid, well, at least you get your visa. So it's a really kind of crappy situation. Meanwhile, there's people who have homes that are local that are not getting those jobs simply because they don't have that artificial barrier. Now, I don't want to take any further than that. If, you know, the politics be it what it is of it, that just seems to be the functional situation. And, I'm, you know, I've been watching this for quite a while from what happened to our audience, too. So Microsoft says, with this new investment, nonprofit organizations around the world will receive donations and resources from Microsoft. And Microsoft will expand its outreach into high schools through TEALS, which stands for Technology Education and Literacy, literacy maybe I should have taken it, in schools. The program pairs engineers from Microsoft and other high-tech companies with teachers to team teach computer science in high schools. I actually think that is specifically a really cool aspect of this. So one of the things I love about it is a huge component to educating children and getting them motivated to maybe go get those degrees is the fact that there is not enough teachers that are educated in these particular topics to motivate the children. So if you can do team working – now, I I was on the very bad end of this – Back when Microsoft was really at their worst as a monopoly, and I received the very – we had a very prototype version um, well over 10 years ago now. Well, I guess it would be 15 years ago. Uh, we had a prototype of this that uh, I, when I was in high school, we worked with somebody from Microsoft who was working with an in-school program, and they gave us a, the, you know, a curriculum, and it was, it was a really early thing. And uh, there were a lot of strings attached. And I, uh, I started to share the story in our uh, how, we, how we started running Linux episode of Linux Action Show. But I didn't actually tell the, I didn't tell the part what happened when we chose not to use a Microsoft solution. And then that's when we saw the dark side of the agreement. These always sound really good on paper. And I think the new Microsoft probably is a lot better about it. And they're going through another organization, Teals, instead of working directly as a company with the school, which, is, which our, our circumstance and arrangement was, which meant we got the much more brunt end of Microsoft than maybe somebody going through a third party will. Uh, anyways, $75 million is nothing to sneeze at, and it's awesome to see that going out to uh, help kids all around the world. Well, and I'm hoping that because it's going through a third-party organization that Microsoft isn't going to have uh, more or less direct influence over the student's criterion mm. because I, I would hate to see this $75 million investment go strictly to teaching those individuals the Microsoft ecosystem and way of thinking as opposed to you know, on my uh, a more diverse ecosystem, absolutely of like of mm-hmm. like Linux and even OSX, FreeBSD, right? So you, the real world where it's mixed out there. I agree, right? And also, of course, 
the Google world, there's another mix to that. Uh, so Google is continuing to work on glass with these uh, three gentlemen uh, wearing glass here on this podcast. Sorry, it's completely distracting me when I saw these three guys. They just There's no way to look good wearing Google glass. Uh, so it's got a new name, though, Project Aura, A-U-R-A, Aura. Right? You think I'm saying that right? Or Aurora? What do you think? Aurora or Aura? Maybe maybe Aura. Aura. So uh, they've been snatching up. Check this out. So we talked about this on Tuesday that Amazon was laying off folks from their special lab from the Fire Phone. Well, Business Insider and the Wall Street Journal are reporting that a group that behind Google Glass has a new name, Project Aurora, or whatever you want to call it, and they're snapping up a- uh, Amazon's fired engineers. Now, don't get this mixed up with Project Aura, A-R-A. That's another struggling project in Google that's trying to build the modular smartphone. So you got Project Aurora and Project Aura. This is like, guys, do you guys remember Microsoft like five, six years ago where they would just suck at, well, they still suck at names, but do you remember how like, like right around the XP era, Microsoft just totally lost it with the names and apparently anybody in the company could come up with a name and call anything, anything, and you had active this and XP that and all of this just, it was atrocious, right? That's where Google's at right now. Like everybody's having a party. You got Alphabet and you got all these new people. You got new bosses stepping into new roles at the companies and they got to just call things whatever they want. Don't even give a shit that it sounds exactly like another project in their own company. It is so clumsy. Anyways, moving on, because really, who cares about names and logos and branding, right? That's just silly stuff that doesn't matter in the real market. Doesn't matter. So let's just move on. Project Aurora seems to have all the previous Google Glass management, so what could go wrong? Uh, And they snapped up a whole bunch of engineers from Amazon's Lab 126, their hardware division. So we should have something interesting coming out from Google, or uh, uh, I'm sorry, from Project Aurora very soon. So be excited. Be very, very excited. All right. I got one more thing to get to before we run this week because uh, I saw this as somebody who's been spending some time in the mobile studio. Aha, you see, I got it right that time. In the mobile studio. Somebody who's been spending time in the mobile studio, I saw this and it spoke to me. So it is, of course, our Kickstarter of the week. Kick it! And it's, you get ready for this, a torch. But it's the baddest torch on the planet. Check it out. I said, check it out. There it is. I love the sounds of the outdoors. <laughs> the sounds that mean fun and adventure are just around the corner. But why should adventure stop at sundown? Throughout history, man has looked for ways to light up the darkness. Today, we've got great technology. So why is it that I can talk to somebody halfway around the world, but I can't light up halfway across my campsite? I've bought dozens of light to use outdoors, but none of them have given me what I wanted. Flashlights work at lighting up a spot. Lanterns light up a space, but they're large, bulky, and just not that bright. I wanted a light that was super bright, extremely well-designed, and would light up a small area or illuminate an entire space. And since my adventures take me to all kinds of places, I needed a light that could go with me. So, we created the Zintany Torch. The Torch is a complete redesign of what a portable light can be. We started by designing in a full 360 degrees of lighting because you usually want to see more than just what's in front of you. And because sometimes where you don't want light is as important as where you do, we divided the light into four quadrants that can each be turned on and off independently. Most lights just have a simple on and off button. With the torch, we made the light continuously adjustable all the way from super bright down to a warm glow. So, whether you're lighting up your entire campsite 
or just turning in for the night, the torch has the perfect amount of light for you. We work with experts from the premier LED manufacturer to come up with LEDs that are not only super bright, but are warm, natural, and easy on the eyes. Not only do these LEDs emit the highest quality light, they will last for 60,000 hours of full brightness. That's like leaving your light on for seven years straight. Other lights eat through batteries like nobody's business, which is bad news for Mother Nature and your wallet. We use high-density rechargeable batteries to give you enough juice to use your light for several days. And the charging port is capable of fast charging your mobile devices on the go. When the batteries finally do run down, just plug your torch into the wall, a car, or solar charger. A light this cool needs more than just a simple on-off switch. Our five-button nav switch lets you select your lighting modes, emergency modes, and adjust the brightness for more or less light. We've also added a Bluetooth interface. With the mobile app, you can check your battery status, program custom lighting modes, turn text into Morse code, and remotely turn the torch on or off. And since cell coverage is often spotty, the torch has an ultra-bright beacon mode, flashing SOS, to get you the attention you need. Our aircraft aluminum design serves both form and function. Not only does it look great, we designed it to be durable, last forever, and take the abuse you're bound to give it. And, since we know you're going to get it wet, we made it waterproof. Through our careers, we've successfully brought hundreds of products to market. We've already engaged a network of world-class suppliers and manufacturers to ensure the highest quality materials will be used to create each torch. We've put in a lot of our own time and money to complete the design and create the first prototypes, but the next stage requires expensive tooling and the capital to get parts at a volume discount. The torch is unlike any light out there. By backing this Kickstarter campaign, you'll be one of the first people in the world to own the baddest light on the planet. Help us light up your next adventure. So there you go. There's the torch. Kind of a cool torch. Uh, they have 397 backers. They have a goal of 253000 Oh, I'm sorry, $235,000. They currently raised $82,000, so 22 days left to go. Mumble Room, first reactions. What do you think? It's kind of cool. Yeah, I think it is kind of actually pretty neat. Uh, I think it is kind of a cool idea, and lighting is a bitch when you don't have any power, so that thing lasting that long. Uh, you know, it looks like the price is going to be around, uh, oh, I don't know, 50 bucks, maybe 60 bucks. It'd be better if it oh, had no, an no. optional crank charger. Looks like the MSRP is going to be $300 after the Kickstarter. Holy smokes, that's a lot for a light, especially if you need a few of them. Are we at the point where we're ready to control our lanterns with our smartphones? That's weird. No. No, you're not. You can't. You no. know, one of the other problems, the only other issue I have with that, as I was just kind of talking about earlier in the show, is sometimes when you're out camping, uh, smartphone power is at a maximum premium. I do like that it allows you to charge your smartphone, though. That's good. That's really good because if you're going to be controlling the light, you're going to need power from your smartphone out when you're camping. So uh, if you want to back this Kickstarter, it will be linked in the show notes. If you want to back the Jupiter Broadcasting Network and help us out with the road trip and the extra production costs while we're on the road, patreon.com slash today supports not just this show, but all of the dang shows on the network, patreon.com slash today. And also we'll have some exclusive content posted there for our patrons. We really do appreciate your support because we are tackling some major challenges that have some major costs associated with them for the road trip, patreon.com slash today. 
could definitely use some more support over there. All right, so I'm going to wrap us up with one more intro. I think this is going to be the last one now. Uh, when I get back from the road trip, I think we'll start a new theme. Don't forget to make sure you check out the calendar at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Also, follow me on the road trip at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash rover and, uh, or checkinwithchris.com. Thanks to Josh. And also, uh, you can uh, meet up with me along the way, meetup.com slash jupiterbroadcasting. So we're going to get out of here with uh, another intro, another classic intro for a TV show. I'm being picky or I'm being um, selfish on this one. I'm picking one that I used to watch all the time. And it's actually on Netflix again, if uh, you want to catch it after watching this. It's actually more fun than I remembered. I watched a few episodes of it kind of recently. Anyways, I'll see you back here. I don't think we'll have any live shows during the road trip itself. I'll try to record a few things. But uh, you can always check the calendar and follow me on Twitter too. Twitter.com slash Chris Elias or the network at Jupiter Signal. Keep submitting stories though and I'll keep an eye on it. TechTalkToday.reddit.com and see you back here after the trip. What if you found a portal to a parallel universe? What if you could slide into a thousand different worlds where it's the same year and you're the same person but everything else is different? And what if you can't find your way home? 